We've just begun uh, this wonderful gospel of Luke, just in time for our Advent season coming up here. And uh, we've been looking at uh, the, the calling, of course, of John the Baptist. Uh, and now we're going to look at a wonderful passage today uh, that really affirms what we just recited in the Apostles' Creed. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. The good news of that truth is coming to us through the Annunciation of Jesus Christ or the announcement of his birth in Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38 and my hell, uh, my hope today is that you and your faith will be strengthened by the recounting of the announcement of the coming of Messiah and that in doing that and being strengthened by that and looking at God's word that we would join with Mary and respond as she did behold the bond slave of the Lord may it be done to me according to your word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do turn to you in faith. We thank you, God, uh, that, that we do not have a blind faith. Uh, we have a faith uh, that is affirmed, supported, taught in the ministry of the word of God. And we have a Bible that tells us historical facts. And what we're going to see today is an historical fact of some 2,000 years ago, you sending an angel to a virgin and saying that she would be mother of Messiah. And all the world changed. The people who are in darkness will see this great light. And we thank you, God, that 2,000 years later, we can still look through these things and say, Amen. That is true. It is our great hope, too, that we would respond as did faithful Mary and say, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Bless us now with an understanding of this wonderful truth in, God, in Luke's gospel. In Christ's name, Amen. So uh, please, again, turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And this is sort of a long passage, so I'll just break it down based on the, base, on the, uh, uh, the uh, five parts uh, of this text here. You it may be assisted by looking at your home group helps insert, uh, where I've got your, uh, got your uh, uh, outline there available for you. First of all, we're going to see Gabriel's greeting in verses 26 through 30, and then Gabriel's announcement in verses 31 through 33. Mary's question in verse 34, Gabriel's explanation in verses 35 through 37, and Mary's godly response in verse 38. First of all, Gabriel's greeting, beginning in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. God says, Dr. Luke writes, Now in the sixth month, of the, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So we have a time mark here. Again, Luke is an excellent his, uh, 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 history uh, historian, uh, and he is uh, actually recognized by modern historians as being an excellent historian. And he gives us a time mark here. The sixth month, the sixth month of what? The sixth month since the angel Gabriel, the same angel, appeared to Zechariah and said that he, that, uh, he was going to be the father of John the Baptist. So six months have gone past. Uh, Elizabeth is now six months pregnant with John the Baptist, and Zechariah is still mute. <laughs> he still can't talk because he didn't believe the, the, uh, the angel Gabriel when he gave him the news that they would have a son in their old age here. 
And, and uh, Luke goes on to say, at this time, Gabriel was sent from God. I love that. Isn't that Gabriel, was, what does that look like? Gabriel was sent from God. I mean, we sometimes we get uh, views in Scripture of the great court scene that goes on in heaven here, but you can sort of see God on his throne sending the angel Gabriel to go to uh, earth. Uh, he, uh, Gabriel, of course, is the messenger, God's messenger. He, he, we see his name in the Old Testament. Gabriel uh, is only one of two angels that we know the name, their name in Scripture, Michael being the other one. But God sends him on this on this journey to Nazareth, a city called Nazareth. Now, that's a wonder as well. And it really, in some ways, the whole the whole understanding of the humility of Christ comes in the fact where he was born. Nazareth was kind of a podunk town, about 75 north uh, uh, of uh, miles north of Jerusalem. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the writings of the Talmud. It's not written in the, in the writings of Josephus, the general during the Roman, uh, during the rebellion against Rome. There's no major trade routes now. It's sort of up there on a plateau here. There's no cultural or religious significance to the town. It was just the backwaters of Galilee. And that was bad enough because Galilee was called Galilee of the Gentiles because it bordered on Gentile areas. So the rest of, uh, of the Jews tended to look down on Galilee in general. Uh, Lazarus, it, it was Nazareth where Jesus was born. Not Rome, not Babylon, not Cairo, but little Nazareth. I don't know what the contemporary would be in our uh, association would be in our age uh, uh, one time, I think I said a trailer park in Iva, and then Sterling got upset because he was born in Iva. And uh, so, uh, anybody from Pumpkin Town? A trailer park in Pumpkin Town. That's where, that's where it would be. Just a nothing backwaters place. Because it shows the humility of Jesus Christ. I mean, God became man. How much more humbling would that be? But then he's born in a little place like Nazareth. And we are told that Gabriel appears to a virgin. This, of course, is fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy written some 700 years before. The sign of the virgin would be the sign of the coming of Messiah. A virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah goes on to write in chapter 9, And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. You know, I don't even know if Isaiah fully understood the import of what it was that he was saying. How blessed are we that we do, that we get that, that even someone as marvelous as wonderful as Isaiah it may not have, he sort of saw it, but sort of didn't. It was at a distance, but we can look back on it in history and see the fulfillment of that wonderful passage in Isaiah chapter 9. He, more information about Mary. She was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. And again, it helps to know kind of the historical connections here. Uh, it, 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 these were different times. Uh, it, usually a girl would be engaged to be married when she was around 12 or 13 years old. Well, you only live to be about 30. So that kind of made sense. But I'm trying to think of girls that are 12 or 13 years old, but they would be engaged to be married. And then the, uh, the, the uh, period of engagement would last about a year, and it was legally binding. You would actually, if you broke off your engagement, you'd actually have to sue for divorce. 
uh, when, a, when a husband died and they were engaged, the, 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 the bride uh, would be considered a widow. There was contractual agreements there. And that year was spent for the husband make him, making sure that his, he was building a house that was appropriate and could, be, could provide for her uh, and that kind of thing. So they basically acted as husband and wife without some of the privileges. They didn't live together at that time. So this was a, this was a, a done deal. He was, she was already connected here with uh, Joseph, uh, and they were going to be married. And this, they hadn't planned on this one, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, with all the things that they were planning, they, they, you have a seven-day wedding feast back in this day. They're thinking about all this, not sure how close they were to that engagement. But all of a sudden, this angel shows up and says that she's going to have a baby. And then uh, Joseph, of course, is a descendant of David. That is also significant. Messiah had to be a descendant of David. Now, Joseph, of course, is not his biological son, but he would be his legal, uh, I mean, his father, but he would be his legal father. So uh, all of those privileges that would come through the line of David would be his uh, by uh, legal code. Mary traced her ancestry back to David as well. Uh, Luke genealogy records uh, 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 her ancestry. She's also, uh, because Elizabeth is her cousin, she's also somehow related to Aaron as well with one of her parents. So she comes from a wonderful pedigree of godly people here. And we find out the virgin's name was Mary. I just love how simple this is. The universe changed at this moment. And we just find her name's Mary. Just her name's Mary. God sent an angel said to, to Mary, the virgin. This is just, you, if Mary had walked by you in the streets, you probably would have never even noticed her. It, because you wouldn't have ever visited Nazareth, for one thing. You wouldn't want to be there. The virgin's name was Mary. So you got that. She's at that awkward stage between girl, girlhood and, and uh, childhood and womanhood here. And uh, she's probably poor. She's probably uneducated or relatively uneducated. She's a peasant uh, living with her mama and daddy. Uh, there in Nazareth. And, you know, the, the, the view of uh, even the other folks around Galilee was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, Messiah is going to come out of Nazareth. I like what Kent Hughes says. He calls Mary a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. That makes the point. But the, the angel shows up and says, hail favored one. Hail favored one. We know that she's disturbed by this greeting. It's important for us to understand, because I think these things always make us appreciate the Protestant Reformation, how, how this term has been misused over time in many ways. And uh, just kind of give you a sense of where this comes. The, the uh, Roman Catholics uh, pray often this prayer. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of the womb. Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. Uh, because the reason why they do that is Jerome translated Hail Favored One as full of grace. Full of grace. And Roman Catholic theologians during the Middle Ages decided that what that meant was Rome, instead of she being a recipient of grace, which is what the text says, she was actually a dispenser of grace, one who could make grace available to others. So therefore, she was placed up at a, at a place almost close to Jesus Christ himself. Doc, Catholic doctrine states that since Mary's assumption into heaven, no grace is conferred on man without her actual intercessory cooperation. So unless Mary is de decides to give you grace, you can't have grace. That is a terrifying doctrine. That's blasphemy. That's idolatry. 
Those things that only God can do, that only Messiah can do, are, are, are said to be done by Mary. So it was this mistranslation in the Latin uh, Vulgate that caused all this concern here. Raymond Brown, who's the acknowledged dean of the Catholic New Testament scholars, agrees. He said that that was uh, full of grace is too strong a rendering uh, that, it, that it can lead to false ideas. Uh, there was this medieval view that came uh, to growth, that Mary had every gift, not only spiritual but secular, even those given to the angels. And ultimately, that extended to the idea of the Immaculate Con uh, Conception, where Post Pope Pius IX declared the doctrine, that doctrine, teaching that from the first moment of her conception, the Blessed Virgin Mary was by the secular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of mankind, kept free from stain of original sin. So the, th the attribute that we see of Jesus Christ, who he was free of sin, they actually apply to the Virgin Mary as well, partly because of a mistranslation in the Vulgate of this particular text. But favored ones, again, it, it's, it's a passive participle. She is the recipient of favor. She was given grace. She didn't give grace, as we are going to learn next Sunday. She even, uh, she even sings about the idea of a need for a Savior. Mary would be heartbroken to know that people are believing this. And Mary is dead. Now, she was a marvelous Christian. She was an example to all of us, but she has never heard a single prayer uttered in her name. She is a recipient of grace, not a dispenser of grace. You have found favor. And what grace that is. I mean, the, the, the groaning desire of every genuine Christian is to, is to please God, isn't it? To want to do something for God. How would you like to have been the one that says, you're going to be the mama to my Messiah? That is grace. That is grace. You have found favored. You have found favored. So uh, uh, the Bible never says that Mary was without sin or that she remained a virgin. We literally know the names of her other children. And yet Catholic doctrine teaches that she remained a virgin forever, which would have meant she was in disobedience to Scripture because she wouldn't have had relations with Joseph. Uh, so anyway, it, go, it goes on and on and on and on, but it helps to know where these things come from. Uh, basically, uh, one of the things to note here, too, is that Gabriel or God didn't ask Mary permission. She, they didn't come up and say, we got this plan, you see, <laughs> and we're thinking about where well, we need to have a virgin mother. We're thinking about you. What do you think about that? You know, it's just, no, you're going to be the mother of Messiah. The Holy Spirit's going to come out. You're going to be the one. It's a calling it's a calling. That's why as difficult sometimes as it is to be a church officer, if you're called to be a church officer and that's affirmed by the church, you need to, you need to stay with that calling. You know, sometimes uh, with, with pastors, there's a high, very high turnover rate with, uh, with pastors. They, get, they come in as idealists. They get so discouraged by the memory. And sometimes the only thing that keeps them in the fight is that I ain't got a choice. <laughs> I've been called by this. I've been called by this. I need to stay in the fight. I need to stay in the ministry until God releases me. So they don't ask Mary's permission. They said, you're going to be the one. You're the one that has been chosen to be the mother of Messiah. Now, she would, have, she would never have said no. Because she, what a great privilege. They have been praying for the coming of Messiah. All the years of oppression, all the years of silence, they knew that he was to come. They understood something about the text of Isaiah. 
But Mary, even though she's not perfect, she certainly is an, a, as a, a model for us to follow in terms of obedience, as we will close out with this morning. Now we see here Gabriel's announcement. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Wow, there's a lot there to unpack, right? First of all, it's going to be a boy, his son. His name is going to be Jesus, which means Yahweh is salvation. What a perfect name. He will be great and called the son of the most high. He's not going to be called the son of Joseph, but of God, the son of the most high. This, of course, speaks of the deity of Jesus Christ. Um, he is the radiance of God's glory and exact representation of his nature, according to Hebrews chapter 1-3. He is the most high. This is a favorite expression of King David, Jesus' great, 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 great granddaddy. Uh, he says in Psalm chapter 7, I will, uh, uh, I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Mary, Mary would have sung that psalm so, uh, so often as a child. God will give him the father David's throne. Now this goes back, of course, to uh, 2 Samuel. And one of the things I want to point out today and, and in uh, future uh, uh, sermons as well, is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. That's another thing that validates your faith. Second Samuel chapter 7, God promised David with a dynasty that would never end. When your days are complete, you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and establish his, his uh, kingdom. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever, according to Gabriel. Well, that goes back all the way back to Genesis chapter 49. When it, uh, uh, old Israel is, is, uh, is giving blessings to all his children, he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, the scepter being the, the sign of, of kingship, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, but until Shiloh comes, peace comes, and he, to him shall be the obedience of the people. Genesis chapter 49. Is fulfilled here in this text with the coming of Messiah. And his kingdom will have no end. When I was thinking about that, I was thinking about that wonderful line. I think it's our favorite line in Amazing Grace as we close out. Uh, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. His kingdom will never, ever end. There will be no end to heaven so Mary was finding out here that she, she would be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah and fulfilling 2 Samuel, Genesis chapter 49, Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9. It's interesting, too, uh, archaeological digs in the Qumran community where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls shows the writings of the rabbis saw that Messiah coming would be the fulfillment of all those promises as well. And that happened uh, they lived there during the time uh, when Jesus uh, w uh, had his ministry on earth. Then we see here Mary's question in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? So the, there's a question here. Now, even at this young age of 12, 13, whatever she is, she knows where baby come, babies come from. So she's thinking that this doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense to me. I'm a virgin and I plan to stay that way until I get married here. Uh, so, uh, so uh, you know, there, there's, there, there's, there's something strange here. But it's one of these strange things that has to be. It has to be this way. Jesus has to be, the Messiah has to be a man 
so he has to come from a human, has to be sinless, so God has to intervene, and he has to live a life without sin, he has to be holy, but he also has to be God. So God has to be the Father, and for fulfill all those things, it would have to happen this way. Now, you look at Mary, and she asks a question kind of similar to what Zechariah asked, right? When Zechariah was told that uh, he was going to give birth at his old age, or his wife was going to give birth at the old age uh, to John the Baptist, you know, he's like, oh, how can that be? There's a difference here that the angel picked up on. Zechariah was like, that's impossible. He is not believing what the angel said. He is looking at his old body. He's looking at Elizabeth's body. He's looking at years of unanswered prayer. He said, something's wrong. This can't be. And he was made to be silent as a result. Mary says something similar, but God knows her heart. What she's really asking for is more instruction. I'm confused by this. I need a little bit more information here. And she may be thinking of the extremely awkward position that she is now placed in in that culture. So she's asking for, for information. Mike McKinley says this, The point is clear. Salvation must come in a way that only God can accomplish so that we will know that God has done it and so that he might get all the glory. It's amazing how interested in God's own glory he is interested in. I mean, he just, this comes up all the time. He is always starting a program with people who could not start it themselves. He is, it is he that gets credit for salvation. Now we see here that Gabriel's explanation in verses 35 through 37. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy child shall be called the son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. So this idea of the, the Holy Spirit coming upon you and overshadowing you really has a sense of the Shekinah glory that, that followed the people of Israel, or led the people of Israel in the wilderness, that, that appeared sometimes in the temple. Uh, and, and basically this, Holy, this power, the, the same Holy Spirit that, that had, has done all those things in the past is going to be the same one that is going to be the father of this baby. So, uh, you know, she, she just willingly submits to this idea. He confirms with an encouraging, uh, miraculous sign. And, I, and, and this is really kind of God. He understands our faith and he will often help us with our, our faulty faith. By the way, Elizabeth, who you know is too old to have babies, she's pregnant. So we're gonna, I'm going to confirm what's said to you by you going to visit with Elizabeth. The proof of what I've said is true is there. But then he, says, he gives this great principle that really needs to be an application in our life here. Nothing will be impossible with God. In the Greek, literally, it's for not impossible will be every word with God. For not impossible will be every word with God. I like what Philip Rankin says. He says, is there anything in your life that seems impossible? But the Bible says nothing will be impossible with God. He is the God of the virgin birth. There is no sin he cannot forgive, no relationship he cannot reconcile, no problem he cannot solve, no need he cannot meet, no ministry he cannot bless, no grief he cannot comfort, no life he cannot reclaim, no sinner he cannot save. The God of the virgin birth is the God who makes all things possible. Y'all, that's important because if God says no to your prayer, it's not because he can't handle it. It's not because he doesn't have the strength to say yes. It's because the no is better. And if you had known the reason for the no, you would have asked for the no. Nothing is impossible with God.
And then we see Mary's precious God. I can't wait to meet Mary. I know there'll be a line, but again, we got forever, right? So uh, Mary's godly response in verse 38, and Mary says, behold, I just love this. It's so simple, but it's so profound. Behold, the bondservant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. That's all she said. I'll just, whatever you say, I'll accept. I'm a servant of God. He's my Lord. I'm not going to start questioning that right now. What an amazing privilege this is. Yes, I will do that. A bondservant willfully and cheerfully submits herself to her master. And you know the old, uh, the old tradition of the bond slave. The bond slave was someone who could have been free, but they chose to stay as a slave. And they would take an awe and they would nail them to the doorpost of the house to connect them permanently with that house. And they would have a scar on their ear to show that they were a bond slave. Mary says, I'm a bond slave. I choose this servitude. This, this makes me happy. This is what I live for. Whatever you've said, I will, I will embrace. Be it done to me according to your word. And then one of the other not, things that you know this, this, uh, this principle really stuck is she obeys. We'll see in verse 39, Lord willing, next week. Now, at that time, Mary rose and went in a hurry to the hill country, the city of Judah. She couldn't wait to obey. She couldn't wait to tell Elizabeth good news. She couldn't wait. She believed what the angel said, that Elizabeth was actually pregnant, even though she was old. And she got out of there as soon as she possibly could. You know, one of the summary points that many commentators have brought up is that you know, we love Christmas, right? We love, we love Christmas, we love the activity, we love the food, we love the fact that the whole world seems to be singing Christmas carols, even if they don't know Christ. We love all the family togetherness, and we'll have some beautiful poinsettias out here in a few weeks. We love all that stuff. But the fact is, Christmas is humiliating. It's humiliating. Christmas is, every year, is a reminder that you cannot save yourself Good people cannot save themselves through morality. Religious people cannot save themselves through their ceremony. It took, some, some, uh, took a great God entering into human flesh, becoming part of the human existence to save us. He would never have done that if we could have saved ourselves. You cannot save yourselves. Some of you think you can, and you really are good people. And you would probably define being a good person by, I haven't murdered anybody or robbed a bank. That's the two big things that people like to define. And a lot of you really are, from a cultural standpoint, you really are good people. But folks, I'm just telling you right here, the whole reason why we have Christmas is you're not good enough. You're still a sinner. You're born a sinner. And just because you got baptized, you're not, that doesn't mean you're going to be saved. That's a religious ceremony. It takes faith to be saved. It takes faith in Jesus Christ. You have to have a Savior. So the message of Christmas, the humiliation of Christmas for some of you is that you need to say, behold, I'm the bond slave of the Lord. The Lord may be calling you to salvation during this Christmas season. If he is, we're going to have a counselor available to talk to you after the service uh, that would help, to, uh, help you to understand what it means to be a Christian. And we hope that you will respond by faith. But for all of us, most of us are Christians, but we have a hard time obeying. Sometimes we forget the big picture for the little, the little groaning attacks that we have all day long. For the Christian, Mary's an example there too. Because we, no matter what God calls us to do, no matter what disappointments he brings into his life, he is still your Lord and you are still his bond slave. And the less you fight that and the more you submit to that, the more joy you will have and the more usefulness you will have in the kingdom. 
So whether you're non-Christian or Christian, let us all say, as Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done according to your will. Father, we do turn to you in faith and pray, God, for blessings that you would stir us up. Lord, so many of us will walk out of here and we think, well, I just want to be just like Mary. The Lord is so good. I don't know why I would ever disobey with him. I'm never going to disobey him again. And within five minutes, we've gone and done it. We're such a fickle people. We're such a weak people. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray for those who are in darkness, that they would come to the light. And I pray for those who are in some light, that you'd give them greater light as a result of us studying Mary and the Annunciation of Christ this morning. And let us all rejoice with the angels in heaven of those who recognize the Lordship of Christ. In Christ's name.